Today's message is going to be very interesting because it started three years ago with my granddaughter from Argentina. My granddaughter's from Argentina, and at Christmas time, I bought a little kit about the tabernacle. It's in the back on the left side. On your way out, you can take a look at it. So together, we started doing this together, and I was trying to explain to her what this meant and what that meant and what the other thing meant. And I was getting all excited and she was getting all excited. And, and so I continued studying and studying and spent three years. So I put together five or six little sermons and I, I built a tabernacle and, and I want to share just the first part of it to you this, uh, this morning. I want to apologize in a sense to those that might be offended by this. I know it's Yeshua. I had the privilege of studying Hebrew for three years to get my doctorate. But I have been preaching over 62 countries about Jesus. So when I use his name, I hope I'm not offending anybody. But the word of God shows us in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The word for dwelt is literally tabernacle. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the tabernacle and what it means to me, and what it could mean to you if it doesn't mean that to you. It is so rich, so exciting. Every time I speak on it over the, in all the world, I get more and more excited, and I realize how little I know about it, and I'm continually studying it. John sees this tabernacle applying to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is in the tabernacle. Because when we read 1 John, or John chapter 1, 14, really it's Jesus tabernacling amongst us. It is so exciting to look at this and to appreciate that everything there talks about our blessed Yeshua. And I trust that you will be blessed and challenged to go home and read about it, study about it. If you have any questions, I'm going to be here after uh, putting away my, my equipment and so on. And also, I had permission to leave my business card in the back, which is a cascade card. If you want me to send you the notes on these, I can cut and paste and send you the notes. Just send me an email. In Exodus chapter 25, 1 said, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, And let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell amongst them. As you know, as I know, in the Garden of Eden, in the cool of the evening, God would come down and talk to Adam and Eve, and they had a beautiful, beautiful communion together. They had fellowship together. But because of sin, they were chased out of the Garden of Eden. And this communion, this this fellowship between God and man was ripped to pieces. It was separated. There's a valley between them. And there was man, and there was God, and there wasn't this close relationship. And then when the children of Israel were 400 years in in Egypt, as you know, as I know, they fell into idolatry. They lost their identity. And a proof of that is the first thing they did when they went, went to the Mount Sinai. What's the first thing they did? They built an idol because they were so used to that in Egypt. But God wanted this communion with them. God wanted this fellowship with them. So God told Moses to make me a place that I can dwell, that the people can come back to me. 
And what a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. So the plans were made. God gave Moses the plans how to make it. The Israelites were to build a sanctuary, a sacred place called the tabernacle or the tent of blessing. God was not asking them to to do this because he needed a, a home, because we read in Acts chapter 17, 24, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of the heaven and earth, does not dwell in tents made by human beings. But God wanted a place that he could, could show the children of Israel that they can have communion with him. We've heard the word many times this morning, very uh, appropriately, uh, about imagery and, and typology and, and symbolism. And, and, and this is so rich in all of those things. God was creating an elaborate visual aid. I'm a photographer, and everything I do and, and everything, where I go, I take pictures. I've got my camera with me today. I've got my iPhone with me. I'm always taking pictures because I like imagery. I like images. And this is a beautiful, beautiful image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and every time you look at it, you'll see Christ coming out. The furniture, the whole pattern was an imagery. It's such a vast subject. We're just going to touch the fringe ends of it. And I hope this will encourage you to, to look at it more. See, the tabernacle could be disassembled. The tabernacle could be taken apart. And these are the coverings, for instance. We have one, two, three, four coverings. And the coverings would be taken off. And it would be put, as you might say, in a, I say it reverently, into a, a valija, um, a suitcase, and carried from point A to point B. And when was it carried? It was when that cloud, we're going to talk about a little bit later on, when that cloud moved, the children of Israel were to move. The tent-like portions had solid walls on it. And here you won't see the solid walls because I've taken them off so you can see inside. But they have solid walls. And uh, it was made up of two parts. It was made up of the holy place and the holiest of holy. And then, of course, the courtyard here. So really, there's three sections to it. And we're going to be talking about that as we go on this morning. The veil. There's a veil between the holy place and the holiest of holy. We're not going to get too much into that today. But isn't it wonderful, as our dear brother said this, this, this morning already, we can go in. We can go in. We can have fellowship with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. The veil has been rent into two, and we can go into the holiest of holies because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. Yes, we have an object lesson, a figure, an illustration. And if you look at it, and there are many types and shadows given in the old Testament, which are fulfilled in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. When it talks about parables, it talks about symbols. And this is a beautiful, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, this is a beautiful a shadow of the things to come. Because this only lasts, I'll probably repeat this, only lasts, what, 500 years? 
from Moses to, to David, and then Solomon made the temple. So this was an illustration or a, a figure of, uh, uh, to show about Jesus for only 500 years. But it's still to us today full of riches. The way we're going to tackle the subject about the temple of the wilderness, we're going to talk about the, the, the mentions of the tabernacle. So I'm trying to make this, uh, this is not all mine, it's, it's, it's an agglomeration of, of, of study, but of the mention of the tabernacle and the ministry of the tabernacle. Easy to, re, to remember, at least for me. What was the, how was it mentioned in Scripture? Well, that, that is very interesting. Very interesting, the mention of it. It is most remarkable, unbelievable to, to understand that no less than 50 chapters in the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about the construction. 50 chapters. For instance, 13 in Exodus, 13 chapters talk about the tabernacle. 18 chapters in Leviticus talks about the tabernacle. 13 chapters in Numbers and 2 chapters in Deuteronomy and 4 chapters in Hebrews. And the significance of this fact is that creation only is talked about in two chapters. So over 50 times in 50 chapters talk about the construction and the meaning and the significance of the tabernacle. So it must be important. It is important. And I hope I get that point across this morning. Well, what was the ministry? We've seen the mention. How much it's mentioned over and over and over. And as you read in Hebrew in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, you just, you just sit back and you go, wow. Oh, <laughs> it's wonderful, wonderful teaching. And what is the ministry of the, 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 the tabernacle? Very important. Well, I think personally, it's a portrait of Christ. In a, a very unique way, the tabernacle illustri- in a, illustrates the ministry of Christ. To our eyes, sometimes it's hard to see, but as you search the Scripture, because the Scripture says to study yourself approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And as we study it, we will see this over and over and over again, and how God uses the scriptures to edify us, to teach us, to animate us, sometimes to give us a kick in the pants, which we need. Excuse the everyday language, but that's so true. Ooh, sometimes I read scripture and I go, wow, Lord, okay, thank you. And we've got to realize that, and we've got to thank God for those times when he, he, he puts us, he never tempts us. But he allows us to go through different things in our lives so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And don't forget that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God. So let's look at this, and we're going to find out about, the, about Christ, where the, the Lord, Jesus Christ, um, we're going to find out also a little bit about the church. And this is going to be shocking to some of you. You might disagree with me. Come and talk to me. I don't mind. I have not uh, all the answers. The Bible has all the answers. But I can see the church illustrated here. People will go into that. And then, of course, the Christian. 
how does this, what is the ministry of, 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 the, of all this to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? See? About the church? See? And about the Christian? See? How does it? Well, let's get into that. And it is very in a very unique way we find Christ in this. You know, it says in the Word of God, as we've already read, and we'll probably read it a few more times, it's so important. The Word, uh, Logos, the Word, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling tabernacle amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Just as the tabernacle in the wilderness was an actual visual dwelling place for God, in all of his glory, so the Lord Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of Godhead bodily. In Colossians chapter 2, 9, we see that. We shall reveal it and we shall discover Christ over and over in the tabernacle. And that's why I like it. That's why I study the Word of God. I don't study the Word of God just to have a bunch of letters after my name. I don't, I don't study the Word of God to have a title. I study the Word of God. Why? Because I want to know more about Him. To know Him. And to make Him known to others. So we see the Lord in the tabernacle over and over. And we can see from Colossians 2 and 9 and Luke says, and beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Now then we also find not just Christ. I believe we find the church. And let me explain that. I'm going to get into my notes a little bit more here because I don't want misunderstanding here. There are those who tell us that the church is not directly referred to in the Old Testament since it is a mystery hidden in all ages and revealed by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 to 12. Ephesians chapter 5, 23 to 33. And Colossians 1. On the other hand, remember, I am not interpreting this. I am applying this. On the other hand, and this is very important, no one can read the Old Testament and particularly the study of a tabernacle without seeing illustrative mention of the church. When Paul spoke to the people of God being built together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Let me read that again. Paul says, it's here in Ephesians, building, built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. He is describing just what the tabernacle represented. The ministry of the church is that of witness and worship. And we shall see how that was the function of the tabernacle. The function of the tabernacle was worship and witness. And that's why we are together here on Saturday. We are here to, to, to worship the Lord. And we are to be a witness out there on the streets of where you live, in your Jerusalem. And also, we've seen that it's an illustration of Christ. We see that we can see the church in the, in, in, in the tabernacle, and also we can see the Christian. The tabernacle is also a type of the Christian. First, 
the first, we see here that it's the body corresponds to the outer court. When we think of man, we think of three parts of man, body, soul, and spirit. And we can see that in the tabernacle. We can see the sacrifice here, and, we, and we'll, we'll, we'll just touch on that. When the lamb, when the, 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 the sacrifice was sacrificed here, and the burnt offering, and then they went to the laver, and they were washed. We are washed in the blood of the lamb. Jesus Christ was sacrificed for us on the altar so that we didn't have to go through that. That's like the outer. We see it. We see it with our eyes. There it is, all of us. And then as we go in, it's remarkable to see that the soul, we see in the holy place, we see the, the, the three pieces of furniture in the holy eating at the table, walking in the light, and interceding prayer. And that's the part of the, the body of the soul. The light of the world is Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. And as we worship here, and then as we look, the high priest goes into the holies of holies, we think of the Spirit. Now, again, these are own interpretations, but it's so wonderful to, to, to look into it. So here we have the, the outer court, and you can see it coming in, the body. Then, in the holy place, the soul, and then the Spirit. God is so good. God is so good, and he's given us this illustration, the message of the tabernacle. God appears to man in grace. Man approaches to God in faith. So the mention of the tabernacle, we've seen that over and over again, over 50 times. The message of the tabernacle, and and this can't really be summed up in five minutes, but as you get into it, you can see it. And the way we're going to tackle the subject this morning is we're going to talk about the way of interpretation. And we can see that here. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, took our place, and we can be washed. And we're going to see that the way of interpretation. And then we can see the way of reconciliation. We are reconciled with God because what Jesus did for us, we are washed in the blood of the Lamb because Jesus died for us. So we are reconciled. Reconciliation. And the way of separation, we're going to see that. The way of separation. And we're going to see the way of illumination. As we read the Word of God, as the Holy Spirit talks to us through the Word of God, we see the lighting in the holy place, the way of illumination, the way of satisfaction. We at Cascades Gospel Chapel, every Sunday morning, we have bread and wine here. And, and, and people say, what a boring meeting. There's no, well, yeah, we have a little one stained glass windows, but you know, you have, a lot of people need a whole bunch of stained glass windows to worship the Lord. A lot of people need a 20-piece a, a orchestra or, or, or pipe organ. But we sit here for an hour and we just worship the Lord. Because he 
is the way of satisfaction. We are satisfied because of what he had done. We ain't satisfied, excuse the English. We aren't satisfied in ourselves. We can't do anything by ourselves, but I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he's the one. The bread is body. The wine is his blood. Illustrations. So he is the way of satisfaction. I am satisfied today because of what he did for me. And the way of interpretation so interesting, and we'll be talking about that, and the way of communion. These are things that we can see here as we go into the tabernacle, as we go from the outer court to the holy place to the holiest of holies. We can see these things very clearly. So here we have it once more, just as the, uh, an illustration, we have the, the, the body, soul, and the spirit. So for the present, let us notice that the, um, the penitent sinner who comes by faith, there is, he is here. He comes through the gate, this gate. He comes in with his sacrifice. He offers his sacrifice. And the priest takes that sacrifice into the holy place. But isn't it beautiful today, dear brothers and sisters and friends? Isn't it wonderful that we don't need to sacrifice animals like in the Old Testament? Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to sacrifice a pigeon or or a, a, a cow or a sheep? Jesus did that for us. So as we go into the outer court, we see... The way of introduction. The gate of the outer court. Jesus said in Matthew 7.13, Matthew 7.13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by there. But, but, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The gate is why Jesus is standing there even today. He's standing in the front of the tabernacle saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus will give us rest. Jesus will give us satisfaction. We don't have to put needles in our veins to feel happy and satisfied. We don't have to chuparnos, which means we don't have to get drunk to be happy. Jesus will give us abundant life. He's there. I'm soaring now. One of my best friends is dying. I went this week to palliative care twice. I'm going to go maybe this afternoon or tomorrow. I'm sad. But I'm sad for myself. I'm not sad for him because he knows where he's going. He's not crying and getting upset. He's rejoicing the Lord because he's got a place in heaven because of what Jesus did here. Jesus did it there. So exciting when you think of it. Two weeks ago, I spoke to 300 Fujians because there in the coffin laid a 53-year-old man who knew the Lord, was born again, was saved, converted. And before he died... He told me, Ron, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he says, I want my people from Fiji to be with me in heaven. 
You can have that. You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about disease. You don't have to worry about all the things that come into our head to give us problems. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in all parts of life. So here we are in the outer court, the way of introduction. We are introduced to Jesus there. Introduced to Jesus. Then we have the brazen altar. And we're not going to go into it very deeply, but it's the way of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was reconciling the whole the world to himself in Christ. Let me read that again, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become righteousness of God. When God looks down on Ron Edgecombe, he doesn't see me. A sinner, podrido, rotten, but he sees the blood of Christ over Ron. And that's what I am precious in the sight, because he allowed his son, he gave his son up to die for my sin. So he looks down at me, I'm right with him. I'm reconciled with him because of what Jesus did. And I can go through life. And enjoy it with a capital L, an abundant life. Because what Jesus did for me, not on the altar, but significantly on the altar. Because he died. His blood was shed. And when they take that poor little, and when they take that, and they, I don't want children out here, I don't, when they slit his throat and put him on the altar, that animal is taking the place of that person who brought it. Just like Jesus Christ took our place on the cross of Calvary. Yes, the brazen altar. What a wonderful, wonderful teaching that is. And we could spend a whole lesson on just the brazen altar, how it was made, why it was made. It is so rich. How about the labor? The way of separation. Speaks to his disciples. Speaking to the disciples, Jesus said in John 13.10, Jesus said, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not yet every one of you. You have already cleansed because of the word I have spoken to you. We can be washed. Just the labor. When the priest goes there and he washes his hands and he washes his feet before he goes into the holy place, in the holy place, we are what? We are, it's a way of separating from the world. We have been saved. We are, have we heard this morning so beautiful? We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Isn't that exciting? We don't have to do what the Jones do or the, the Smiths do. I hope I have no Jones or Smith here. I apologize. But we don't have to do what they do. We have the Holy Spirit in us who helps us to say no to Satan and yes to the Lord. Yes, the way of separation. Because of the blood of Christ, we are separated from the world and the things of the world. So here we have, we have the gate. 
And you can see the, the fellow here coming in with his, looks like a ram, coming in through the gate, going to the brazen altar to sacrifice. And then we have the brazen altar. The gate, the brazen altar. And then we have the ladder. Oh, we got to move on. Time is going. Let's get in. Okay. We're going to go inside here now. We're going to go past through this. The priests are allowed to do this. The public, no, but the priests can go in here into the holy place. And they take your offering. They take, and we find the way of illumination, the golden candlestick. Jesus said, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's the light of the world. The light of the world is, if I could sing, I know Grace could play the piano, but I won't sing. Grace knows how I sing. You would rush out of here, and I've still got 15 minutes. But you know, the light of the world is Jesus. Sing it, if you can sing for Jesus. And if you can say it, tell people on the streets, on the sky trains, Tell them that the light of the world is Jesus. This is just one many illustrations in Scripture, the candlestick, of how Jesus is the light of the world. Every time you look up front here on, a, on, on Saturday, think the light of the world is Jesus. And I could spend two lessons on just the candlestick. It's so rich, so rich. But that's the way of illumination. And then we have... The way of satisfaction. The table of showbread. Johnny 6.35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In 1953, I was a little kid, seven years old. You can make the math, how old I am. Seven years old, I walked into Cascades Gospel Chapel. It was down here on 25th Boundary and Ten, seven years old. Ten years old, I got saved up at Ambalina Bible Camp. And I used to come to Cascades Gospel Chapel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday as a ten-year-old kid. I'd already had two fathers and three mothers. I was in an orphanage. But anyway, that doesn't matter. I won't go into that now. But I would come when I was ten years old, and I would sit on the left side in the front, with a fellow named John DeRosio, and I would sit there, a 10-year-old kid, knowing nothing about the Scriptures, hardly, and I couldn't take the communion. I wasn't in fellowship, but I would sit there, and I would just think of the bread and the wine, and I would think how, how satisfied, because I accepted Jesus at 10 years old, how satisfied I was. It didn't matter if my mother and father were yelling and screaming, throwing chairs at each other, it didn't matter if, if, if I was going to school and then I'd have to quit that school and go to another school so I had to repeat the grade and pass on trial in grade 2, 4, and 6 and flunk grade 8, 1, flunk grade... I mean, it didn't matter. Because inside I had a satisfaction who Jesus was. Because he is my satisfaction. Some people call it a crutch. I don't think so. People in my family, a lot of them say, well, it's just been a crutch for you. No, it hasn't. It's my life. So here we have the showbread. Jesus said, as I said, I am the bread of life. And if you want satisfaction, if you want to be illuminated, if you want it to be guided, if you want, you know, 
this is so rich, so good, so wonderful, the Word of God. Sometimes I wish I could eat it up, but you can't. It's, I, I, and it's so new every moment. Every time I read it, I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. Have we declared the faithfulness of God and his salvation? I just opened it up like that. I, it was sitting here. But that, there's a lesson in itself. And then, of course, we have the way of intercede, uh, intercession. God speaks to us through the word of God. And we speak to God in prayer. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Though Jesus therefore let us continue offering to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, that opening profession, profess, profess his name, openly professing his name. This is the golden altar of incense, the way of intercession. Isn't it wonderful that God listens to us? You know, I'm a, I don't even, even have my phone on me. Boy, my wife's going to get me, get off to me. But anyway, I have a phone, and I haven't got with me. I, I honestly forgot, ooh, I'm going to get in trouble when I get home. Anyway, my phone, battery runs out sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, you can talk to God 24-7, and, you know, his ear is always open 24-7. Isn't that exciting? He intercedes for us. He, 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 he's, he's, he's there before his father. He's our abogado. He's our uh, attorney. He's, he's, he's defending us. <laughs> now, wonderful. What a defender. Yes? And then we come to the most wonderful thing, the way of communion. The way of communion. The Ark of the Covenant. And there we could spend three lessons on that. The Ark of the Covenant and what is in it. The way of communion. 1 John 1, 13 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We. Who are we? Who am I to have fellowship with the God Almighty, the creator of the heaven and earth? It's because of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? People say, uh, you know, Ron, you get excited. My wife doesn't like to come hear me preach because she's scared I'm going to have a heart attack. Well, I would love to have a heart, I'd love to have a heart attack on the preaching, preaching Jesus. And I mean that after all the countries I've been to. Yeah, that brings up another point. If you don't see the Israel's flag on here. Um, you know why it's not on there? Because it's in my heart. I don't need it on here. It's in my heart. And that's one reason I pray for you so often, the ark. The, now, what is the immediate purpose of the tabernacle? It's a place of worship. It's a place to establish relationships. It's to experience revelation. It's not just a place of worship. It's a place of witness. It's the presence of God, the purity of God, and the protection of God. And we still have a few minutes, and we're going to touch some of these. It's a place of worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well, John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. 
this is a place of worship. It was a place to come in with their sacrifice. It was a place of worship. And isn't it wonderful we still have the privilege and opportunity here in North America, in beautiful British Columbia, in Vancouver, to worship the Lord. And I commend you people on a Saturday morning to be here. And I wish each and every one of you mothers a very happy Mother's Day tomorrow. And I wish those of you who say, well, I'm not a biological mother. I I don't enjoy Mother's Day. If you've been a Sunday school teacher, if you've been a DVBS worker, if you've worked at camp, if, if, if you've had any tato, we say, any um, time with children, being a spiritual mother is much more important than being a physical mother. Anybody can be a physical mother in some sense of the word, excuse me. But I wish you happy Mother's Day and continue talking to that little girl, that little boy. We can't touch him anymore. We can't hug him. We can't kiss him. But we can stand there and say, hi, how are you? See, I had four mothers and two fathers. So Mother's Day is always difficult for me. But I've had spiritual mothers. And you know where I met the spiritual mothers? In a place of worship. (laughs) That's why I bring up the subject. I was wondering why I brought up that subject. But it's because it's a place of worship. Here at Cascade Gospel Chapel, a little skinny run, seven years old, walking through the door from the neighborhood. And the women of this church took care of me. And I could name them, Mrs. Stewart, Mrs. McClellan, Mrs. Gibrant, Mrs. Wright. I could go on and on. All of these people have since gone up to be with the Lord. But here at your Zion Fellowship is also a place of worship, as the tabernacle was a place of worship. And that's what God... Uh, brings out in this. It's also, it's a place to establish relationships. Relationship with the people of God. God wanted the people, all the people were camped around here. All were camped around here. You can imagine. Some people say six million. I I don't know. I, I, I lost count. But anyway, they were camped all around here. And they would look at this and they could realize that was a place of worship and a place to establish a relationship. God wants a relationship with you. That's why this is so important to attend Zion Fellowship because it's a place to establish relationship with God and with other men and women who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants that relationship with us like he had with Adam and Eve in the beginning. That's why we have it. A place where, now, it's not a place of, of religion. It's not a, a bunch of rules and regulations. It's relationship. People say to me as I'm on the sky bus or sky train or sky bus or when I'm walking down the street and I start telling somebody about my, my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, they say, oh, you're, you're a religious fanatic. And you know what I tell them? I am not a religious fanatic. I have a relationship with Jesus. And they say, well, what religion are you? And I said, well, I have a relationship with Jesus. I have no religion. I have a business card. You'll see out there with Cascade Gospel Chapel on it, but I don't give that out all the time. 
So the tabernacle was not a place of religion, rules, and regulations. It was a place to have a relationship with God. And that's what the tabernacle is all about. It's to experience. It's to experience God in all of his beauty. A place of worship where Jesus said to the woman at the well, he said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. And truth, we can worship God. Yes, we can worship God in our homes. We can worship God in the forest. People my age, a lot of them say, well, I don't go to church anymore, Ron. I say, why don't you go to church anymore? Well, I've done that. I've been there. I've seen that. But you know, God calls us to meet together like you're doing here. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Oh, they say, no, but Ron, I stay at home. I sit down, put my feet up, have a cup of coffee, and watch a good religious, Bible-believing, fundamental program. That's good to do, too. But that's not a place to have relationships and to experience the revelation of God. And that's what the tabernacle was. Yes, it was a place of worship. And let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell amongst them. God wants to dwell amongst us. I will dwell amongst the children of Israel and will be their God. That's why the tabernacle was done. So it was a place of of worship. It was a place of relationships. And it's a place of um, revelation. God revealed himself to the people of, of Israel. And as you study this and get into it and, and look and just, just look at the six. Twelve. Why twelve? I'm not telling you. You've got to study to find out why there was twelve showbread. I mean, it's so rich. It's so wonderful. And we can do that in complete freedom in whatever language. Yes, it was a dwelling place. It was a meeting place. It was a, a place for fellowship. It was a place for counsel. Yes, the tabernacle was a place of witness. They witnessed the presence of God. I said I would mention, I'll do it very shortly, there was a cloud. During the day, it was a huge cloud. Wow. And at night, there was a cloud of fire. Twice over in number 17, this tent of meeting was called the temp- temple, the tabernacle of witness. I'll say that again. Twice in number 17, this tent of meeting was called the tent of witness, verses 7 and 8. And this is exactly what it was. It was a temple of witness. And when people on the outside saw that cloud by day, they knew God was there. God was in that cloud. It was proof of his presence. And in the nighttime, when the enemies were there, and they were looking and they see that cloud of fire, they knew that the God of Israel was there. And in the day when it was so hot, that cloud would give them shade and comfort. And when that cloud was there at night, it would give them guidance because sometimes they had to travel at night. And when that cloud moved from point A to point B, they would move with the cloud. The presence of God. We read in Exodus 40, 33. Then Moses set up the um, courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the curtains of the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses 
finished the work. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's in um, Exodus chapter 40, 33, and 34. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travel. In the tabernacle, we also see the purity of God. We see the purity of God, the, the, how God is so pure that he, he had to have a sacrifice so we could get to him. We can't get to him by ourselves. The children of Israel couldn't get to God by themselves. They had to have a sacrifice to take their place. We needed a sacrifice, and we've got that sacrifice, and it's up to you to accept it. It's up to you to accept, because God is pure. And we read, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. And we find it all through the Scriptures. It was a tabernacle, a sanctuary. Carries the thought of holiness, purity. And, you know, it was, as I said, here they are camped around it. And, you know, the the people who were closest to it were the priests, the Levites. And they jealously protected it. This curtain... You couldn't climb over. You couldn't get up and see what was going on inside. We can, but they were down here and they couldn't get over it because they did everything to keep sin out of the holy place and the holiest of holies. Only the sovereign sacrifice, the, the high priest could go in here once a year for all those people around. Look at all the tents, thousands and thousands of them. They would... Once a year, the priest would, high priest would go in there. The priest would go in here every day. And even there's lessons on that. And the gate was high. They couldn't get over it. It was the, the protection of God. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shield at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day or the moon by, by night. The Lord will keep you for all harm. He will watch over you. And that's an illustration of the cloud. It protected them by day and protected them by night. And you remember when they went through the Red Sea? We won't go into that. But therefore, therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Although I sent you far away amongst the nations and scattered you, them amongst the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the country where they had gone. Yes, the tabernacle, a place of, of witness, a place of worship. It talks about the ultimate purpose. That was the, the purpose at the time of the, of, of the tabernacle. That was the, the, the presence. That was the reason why. But what is the ultimate? Very quickly, because it wants to present his person and his work. The person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us today. We can see in the tabernacle the person and the work You might say, you sound passionate. Well, I am passionate because it's all about him, as I said in the beginning. It's all about his person, his work. The ultimate purpose of a tabernacle was to point to the coming of him whom all object lessons are fulfilled. The breaking of the bread. 
the drinking of the cup, the lampstand, table of showbread. Everything is a foreshadow of what is to come. Hebrews says it this way, The Holy Spirit was shown by this, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went to the greater and more perfection tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and, and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood through the obtaining eternal salvation. <laughs> we can go through here. This has been ripped. This has been rent. This has been torn to pieces. We can go in there. So I trust that you will enjoy studying at home, the tabernacle, because it's all about him. Even the wood, the plants, everything talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the gold talks about him. The wood talks about his humanity and so on. It's all about. Now, the ultimate person of the tabernacle is, is to show that Jesus Christ is our high priest. So we see his person, we see his work, and in his work is the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of separation, and so on. So I trust that God has blessed you on these few thoughts on the tabernacle. And I hope that you'll go home and you'll study it. And if you need any answers to any of the questions, you can just write me. My email's there. Or I'm sure there's the elders here that could help you, and there's some really good books out there. Be careful what you read there, because there's a lot of books that aren't that good. Thank you very much, and God bless you, and I'm here for you.